0: Space. We are your hosts, Kate Newell and
1: Dylan Doyle-Burke. The Faith Space is a leadership development organization dedicated to creating a holistic and sustainable world cultivated through personal empowerment and systemic transformation.
0: Join us in reclaiming our connection and reviving our faith. Find out more about The Faith Space on our website, thefaithspace.org, and follow us on our socials at The Faith Space Co., our guest today is Dr. Christina lizardi hodgeby She is an assistant du- professor of leadership and formation and the director of the Office of Professional Formation at I Love School of Theology. Dr. Lizardi-Hodgeby, Christina, we can call you that, mm-hmm. <laughs> teaches in the fields of leadership theory and praxis, congregational and community formation and change, practical theology, and applied research methods. An ordained minister in the United Church of Christ, her ministry has included experience in Christian education and faith formation, multicultural student affairs and higher education, chaplaincy, and nominal leadership. Dang, it's a lot. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome.
1: It is an honor and a privilege for us to welcome Dr. Christina lazardi hodgeby to the Faith Space. Welcome, Christina.
2: Hi. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Of course. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. Yeah. I'm doing well. Excited and energized, but it's also Monday morning. It is so, Monday morning. Yeah, for, for us, just sort of waking up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we wanted to get you bright and early on Monday morning with mm-hmm. the whole potential of the week ahead.
2: Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So we're here currently in uh, what you considered your faith space. In all of our interviews, we like to interview guests in what they consider their faith space. And can you tell us a little bit about where we're recording this podcast right now?
2: Yes, so this is my office, um, otherwise known as the happy space. Uh, Mm. It it really is my happy place. It's a place where um, I find a lot of thinking and dreaming and possibility happens, not only around the table that exists on which we're sitting, but also on the couches and the chairs that are also in this space. It's also a place where um, I think a lot of meaningful conversations take place with students, uh, with other faculty, with other staff, with alumni, community members, and I hold those conversations to be very sacred. Thirdly, as someone who's really committed to learning and lifelong learning and formation and transformation, which is ongoing, I love that there are books behind us. Mm. Uh, my bookshelf is a treasure trove of wisdom and practical knowledge, but also words make me happy.
0: <laughs> you can tell so much about someone by what's in their office and especially their bookshelf bookshelf. Mm-hmm. I love that. But you also have a huge picture of these trees. So you bring mm. in the natural world, even though we're inside, it feels really expansive. Yes. feels really open um, when you take up almost a whole wall
2: with what looks like you're in the forest. Yes. Yes. So thank you for mentioning that. I, that was really intentional. So I wanted to create a sense of openness and possibility, but using nature in this space. The other wonderful thing about my office is that I have great windows. Mm-hmm. And even though it's a ground level uh, office, uh, the windows really bring in a lot of natural light. Mm-hmm. And I think it really highlights that picture of the trees and the light coming through the trees. Sort of that's how the light comes through. Um, even in sub-level places or sub-ground places, mm-hmm. there's still light. There's still light coming through the windows. and so. Um, that also signals possibility for students that I work with and that I talk with in this space. What are the possibilities that they see for themselves as they're discerning their own sense of ministry, sense of call,
1: or sense of meaning that is held deep within them? To help our listeners contextualize the institution that we're at, can you talk a little bit about ILIF uh, and where your office, so your office is here, and then there's a ILIF around it. Yes. Can you talk about that ILIF that is around it?
2: Yes, so ILIF School of Theology located here in Denver, Colorado is a seminary of the United Methodist Church, but we have students here from all traditions, no traditions, and many traditions, Um, and that includes interspiritual Folks, Buddhist students, students who are nuns, N O N E S, and students, of course, who are wanting to take a more traditional ordination path in a particular denomination, such as the United Methodist Church or um, the Unitarian Universalist Church or the United Church of Christ. So, uh, ILEF has a really um, long history. It's been around over a hundred years. It's on the campus of the University of Denver as well. And I'm really proud to be able to work in a place that values our commitments to social justice Mm. and peacemaking in the world. We have a legacy here of our faculty being leaders in the civil rights movement, as Dr. Vincent Harding was, in the movements for liberation for American Indian peoples, as Dr. Tink Tinker was, and even the ongoing work that that some of the faculty like Dr. Miguel de la Torre and Dr. Jennifer Leith engage in their um, liberative work in the world and in their teaching. So I feel very honored to be a part of the, the school here in forming future leaders and current leaders in the world.
0: That's really why we wanted to interview you. So there's so many reasons, but you have this pastoral lens, which is so wonderful, these one-on-one conversations, but this very prophetic way of doing leadership. And that's your sweet spot that I, I wish more people, um, certainly in ministry, but also just anywhere around the world, got that. And you exemplify it, I think,
2: very clearly. Why do you feel called to this work? Mm, that's, a great, that's a great question. Thank you for that. <laughs> i I do I feel I feel very passionately about about the work and about the role and importance of leadership, especially in this time that we're living in now. And maybe in a seminary fifty years ago or forty years ago or even thirty or twenty years ago, uh, formation for leadership looked very differently than it needs to look today. Mm-hmm. so often leaders today are being called upon to do things that they never had to do, Mm -hmm. especially as many of our institutions are in times of great transition. And so um, for me, I want to be able to really engage students and help that process of equipping people for what is needed now. Um, Equipping them not only with the skills and abilities to lead in changing and tumultuous times, but also um, preparing their in themselves internally. Um, what does that look like for you to lead? And how is that affecting your spirit and the soul? And how do you invite possibilities um, and creativity into the work of leadership, but not get burned out mm-hmm. in doing that work? And how do you care for yourself? How do you build resistance um, and resilience um, to some things that are happening in our world, at the same time creating um, possibility and growth and transformation in our communities.
1: Well, I definitely want to circle back to, I'm sure you found the answer for how to do all those things. Oh, right? sure. Tell us. <laughs> um, but before we get to that magical answer, um, right. I just, uh, I wanted to ask in you're being a professor of leadership and formation. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about your own formation and how you got to this point and this passion in your career. Yeah,
2: Um, yeah, that's a great question too. Um, It's kind of a long, windy road. Um, And for me, call and sort of something, is something that is an ongoing conversation with myself, with what I consider spirit and intuition in the world. And so that really has led me to this place. I started out as um, a person born into a traditionally Catholic family. And so my parents were raised both Catholic and I was baptized in the Catholic Church. I was born and raised um, three hours south of here in a little town called Trinidad, Colorado. But my parents were hippies who moved from New York City to southern Colorado to find um, uh, and be be embedded in a hippie commune. Hmm. So they were hippies, and they had friends out here and wanted to raise their children living off of the land. As New York City people, they had no idea how to do that, (laughs) even though they bought a house and lots of property and even some animals. And when my dad realized he couldn't shoot a rabbit, um, Mm -hmm. then he gave up the idea that um, we would live off the land because he didn't want to kill animals. (laughs) So (laughs) that sort of gives you a little bit of idea of where I come from. Um, When I was about six months old, my dad um, went to a Nikki Cruz revival, um, which was really popular back in those days. And so he was converted to being an evangelical, sort of, you know, Jesus-loving Christian. And so from that point on, my formation was in a more Pentecostal, evangelical tradition and faith space. And that's how I grew up. And um, going to college and going to seminary, uh, my faith grew and was enlivened and emboldened in many ways. But when I was in undergrad, I was a part of a um, Christian denomination that, um, or a Christian group that very much valued my leadership and my skills, Um, but there were some folks within that particular campus group that said, you know, I'm not really sure if, if you're being called to being a leader in the church. We think you could be great in terms of hospitality and welcoming people, which is of course traditionally a woman's role, Mm -hmm. but we don't think you could actually lead. And I said, you know, that's great, but I feel something else happening inside of me. um, And I need to listen to that voice. And very clearly, um, I felt like I was being called to be in ministerial leadership. And so um, I began to pursue that by first working in a church upon graduation and very quickly working in a church. It was um, a congregation that was mostly uh, Latino, Spanish-speaking, and mostly female in a really high-poverty area of Denver. And I did that work for about a year, but very soon after working there, realized that I was very ill-equipped to do that work. Undergraduate education had not prepared me for that. Mm-hmm. And so the pastor of the church said, well, why don't you consider seminary? And so I considered ILIF School of Theology because that's where I lived, here in Denver, Colorado. And so I actually became a student at Eilif and I graduated from ILIF. During that time, I also found the United Church of Christ, which is my home denomination. I felt that it not only was a place where I could live into the fullness of who I was as a biracial... Woman who's Puerto Rican and Italian, as a queer woman who um, has relationships with people that are not necessarily defined on the gender continuum, and as a first generation student, the first in my family to graduate with an undergraduate degree or even go on to get a master's. And so um, I found that the UCC was that place for me theologically and was also expansive enough that I could live within that theological space. Um, And so from there, things just sort of escalated, I guess, in a good way and um, served my first call in higher education ministry, working with Um, Students much like myself, who are students of color, international students, first generation students, LGBTQ students at a small private liberal arts college, um, worked at the denominational level um, for the UCC in doing research, doing faith formation, Christian education, um, and now working at ILIF to really combine those vocational pieces of working with students and helping them cultivate in a in a pastoral way their own vision and their own call but combining sort of that leadership of of what does leadership look like and that's a lot of the work that i did in the denomination too around research what what are the factors that are most conducive to um, leadership and the thriving of institutions and congregations what are the qualities that we look for in leaders that are most conducive to an institution's thriving, so did a lot of work in that way too. So I feel like now in my role, I get to bring all of those pieces together of myself mm-hmm. and live them out in the world in really fun ways. I
0: love so much of what you just said. Thank you for giving us that context. It's rich. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of depth to it. I think um, I just want to illuminate for many of our listeners. They don't fall into a faith tradition. I think mm-hmm. they're going to be shocked to hear that you are a Christian leader, right? right. And that you are identify as queer, mm-hmm. that you are a Christian who loves all people of all faiths or no faith at all, and that your sweet spot is um, in education. And I think people think, oh, if you're a Christian leader, you must be a minister in a church or something. Yeah. And for you. You have been called to different expansive spaces. And I know that you work here now, but also in the past, you've done consulting, right, with Mm -hmm. different organizations. Um, So it's really expansive. I just want to illuminate that piece of it. Yeah. There's a lot of space. And I think people often, especially in the U.S., view Christianity in a very... Linear lens
2: Yes And and I don't view anything in linear, lin, Linearly <laughs> <laughs> Linearly <laughs> I guess Linearly Linearly or or binary terms I just uh-huh. don't think in, in binary terms A lot of the times And um, I just Even if there is a binary There is always space in between And beyond those spaces And that's how nature is mm-hmm. and, and that's how we as humans are And so um the United Church of Christ, my particular denomination, welcomes that and and sees that, and so it's it's not hard for me to live in that space and also live in other spaces and journey along students who journey alongside students who are um, really on a different path or um, a non-Christian path because that's just how it is. The other thing I'll say, uh, which I didn't mention before about my story story, is that my spouse, who's a who's a man is Muslim. And so um, I live every day in an interfaith space with Mm -hmm. my spouse. And so I get a lot of questions about, well, how, what does that look like? How is that different? How are you compatible? And I say, you know, how is your marriage (laughs) (laughs) compatible and how do you get along? How does that work? It's compromise and it's engagement and it's at least sharing some of the same values that you hold dear. If that's expressed different theologically or religiously, that's great. I I don't see that as a conflict. I see it as um, a welcome. Diversity for me is an essential part of nature. It's an essential part of who we are. And so um, being someone who is biracial, who is queer, who exists in many different spaces and many different, ways. um, That's just sort of who I am. I'm someone who has learned to navigate many different spaces and where other people see tensions, I might see possibility, which is a huge part of leadership, a huge part of leadership formation and leadership development. Um, Not to see things in dualistic or fixed terms, but to see possibility. And we try to work with students to think about where are the possibilities in your ministry and and who you are as an individual to bring your gifts to expression in the
1: world. So in the past uh, week or month, I've been watching a lot of news. um, And it's always interesting to watch the news and to take stock of what language is being used. Mm -hmm. And Uh, It's always fascinating to me that in this increasingly divisive political time, how the language that we use is increasingly binary, is increasingly that us versus them mentality. Um, And I'm always asking myself as a leader, whether it's with my congregation or the work that we do in consulting with the faith space, how I break down that, that binary for myself, because I know I need to see that possibility before I can help anyone else. See that, and I'm wondering for you how you do that work because it can be such hard work when we've been socialized to see that binary to break it down. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's a tough. That's a tough question.
2: I don't know how I how I do it. I think I just do it, mm-hmm. and I'll give you an example. So I had the opportunity to. Um, be a part of an accreditation visit to a seminary in Puerto Rico these last couple of weeks and also in um, they have an extension site in Costa Rica so I was able to go to both spaces and look at their school and see how they function and see how they run and do sort of a a reaccreditation which is kind of a, a very standardized but open process in many ways And the seminary is a part of a very different tradition than my own. It's part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, And the Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, from what I learned, has many different beliefs that are different from my own. And I wasn't necessarily comfortable sharing all of my own identities in that space, knowing that there might be judgment or there might be some, some... Other questions around my identity in terms of sexual orientation or being married to someone who is not Christian because their beliefs are much more strict and fixed than my own. Um, But yet, at the same time, I was able to form relationships with individuals there in other ways. So, in terms of talking about politics, I found commonalities with. Um, some of the leaders of that seminary who who had political affinities to my own. Um, and we were able to have some really engaging conversations in the midst of that, not only around some of our different theological understandings around that, but where were the commonalities. And for me, I found that to be really enriching. And by the end of my time with some of those leaders, I did feel comfortable enough to share some of the more personal pieces of who I was. Had I not been open to that process and that conversation from the beginning, um, I don't know if we would have been able to get to that place um, otherwise. And so for me, it's always sort of entering into spaces with caution, but also with a sense of openness. And now I feel like I've gained actual colleagues in the work of ministry and theological education. Even though we're in de- very different places, we've, we've gained a sense of respect and, and are honoring each other. And I feel like I was honored and respected, even though my beliefs were very different. And I, I wish in many ways that we, as a, as a culture, particularly in the U.S., would get to that place. But I think it takes leaders and ministers doing it, that difficult work of building relationship, even in the midst of difference, because I believe that diversity produces beauty and it produces possibility. Mm -hmm.
0: I love the the courage to be vulnerable that you brought to that space and it paid off. Yep. It really does. Is that continuous? Do you feel like that often? Like when you and how do you garner that courage, I guess, in that moment, too, of, of this is a risk. Yeah. And I'm going to believe that the relationship is worth the risk um, over yeah. the system, over, yeah. the, over all these,
2: the rules or the dogma or whatever. Yeah. I, I think it's something that is cultivated within, right? And it's also sort of having an awareness of the space and what you're feeling in the space, because a lot of times it may not be safe. Right? If you're feeling like it may not be safe and these are some of the signals you're receiving, then not, not doing that, I think, is a part of self-preservation and, and resilience and actually resisting a part of, an, of a space that will deny who you are. I didn't feel that in that moment. I felt like there was openness and I felt like um, those people were expressing vulnerability in a particular way that they wouldn't normally express. And so it gave me an opening to do that. So much of leadership is observation to what's happening around you in the present moment and responding well and not only intuitively, but complexly in the space of that present moment. It's It requires an amount of emotional intelligence, which is one of those sort of Keywords that Mm -hmm. are often thrown around, but I believe in the value of emotional intelligence, understanding the emotions that are happening around you and the emotional field of others in that space, and remaining present and self differentiated enough to not just be reacting to those emotions, but being able to respond as a leader. I don't know how that gets cultivated. I have some. <laughs> I have some clues. We try to do that with our contextual education component in the curriculum here at ILIF. So it's some of it is just doing it, like being out there and making mistakes, because we all do. And like life isn't perfect, right? And so I make mistakes every day, but I learn from them, and I don't necessarily see them as. Um, negative things. The, the mistakes and the experiences are how we gain that inner wisdom. It's um, Kathleen Kaelin talks about um, practical wisdom, integrative knowledge and practical wisdom. And it's how we balance that practical wisdom and gain it over time. And it takes years. I th- I really do. And I think it takes our lifetimes.
1: You mentioned the word intuition. And I was recently having a conversation uh, with some high schoolers in my denomination, who, um, when given a time to just ask me any question whatsoever, their first question was, "How do you follow your gut?" <laughs> um, there, uh, they were high schoolers that want to go become ministers, um, and they heard me talk about different times that I followed my gut, especially to leave a situation that felt unsafe, or also to take a job in the first place, and to follow that calling. Uh, And I have a particular understanding of calling in my tradition, but I'm wondering for you if intuition is the same as destiny, is it the same as how do you break down intuition Mm. for yourself or for your tradition?
2: Yes. So yes, there, for me, I break it down in two different ways. My tradition, I think, values intuition. And I, I think at a base level, All of our traditions value intuition, but over time, some of that intuition um, becomes overgrown with policy and procedure. And so that sometimes does not serve us very well. Um, A lot of my work is working with students to help them not only recognize um, intuition in the space of the moment, but then to interrogate that intuition which often feels uncomfortable because sometimes our intuition is coming out of trauma Mm -hmm. and sometimes our intuition is coming out of other experiences that we've had. And so um, not only do we need to become better listeners of ourselves, but then better interrogators of that intuition that we are finding um, deep within. And so anytime when I engage in a process of Um, discernment or listening to that deeper sense of self, I begin to ask myself, well, where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? Is it coming from my trauma or my hurt? Is it, what role am I playing in any particular situation that's causing these sort of intuitive feelings? And if it's coming from a place where it's a deeper well, like something is happening that I don't quite understand, but I need to listen to it then I listen to it. And I've I've done that throughout my ministry, throughout my formation. Before making any major transition, I've not made one unless there's this deeper sense of of intuition or calling to me that um, is present. And I interrogate that and say, okay, is this coming from my ego? Is this coming from... Another place, and if the answer is no, it's really coming from something else guiding um, my own intuition, my own spirit guiding that. Then I listen to it for me. It's often shown up um, in my
0: body. I think when people say listen to your intuition, Mm. I almost feel my intuition, and it's and it's and that's why I feel like the students asked about the gut, right? Um, We asked many people about the embodiment of Spirituality yes. piece. Can yes. you speak to that? Like, where in your yes. body does that show up? How do you? Because there's a listening, and you're using like terms, you know, ego and very like psychological mm-hmm. terms, which yes. I think are important. Yes. But the embodiment piece, are there practices or rituals or ways that yes. you of knowing that you can tell us about?
2: Yes. I, you know, one of the, and I thank you for bringing this up because, um, I have a spiritual director who challenges me every session in that way, which I need. And that's why she's my spiritual director. And every single time she says, where are you feeling it in your body? Where are you feeling it in your body? And I love that, even though it annoys me sometimes because (laughs) I need to be able to feel it in my body. And I need to know where, where is this feeling residing is it residing in my gut is it is it sort of this um upset stomach is it tension in my in my shoulders is it in my back is it this general sense of warming that I'm feeling and doing that check is so important it's so important and it and it's helpful for us as human beings and most often we experience that physical sensation or physical manifestation when we're in danger or when we're afraid and I think oftentimes we don't listen enough to that Um, but there are times where we also feel it in terms of pleasure and in terms of joy and we don't listen to that either we don't listen to that either And so um, really being attentive to that is important. So I often do um, centering in terms of uh, breath meditation. I do mindfulness meditation, staying in the present moment and just sort of feeling my body. Where is this emotion or where is this tension or where is this intuition residing in my body? And that often tells me whether or not it's something that I need to pay attention to or not. Um, this happened to me just yesterday. I was having some tension residing in um, sort of my chest and my stomach, and I was feeling this tension and starting to feel really stressed about some pieces and some things that I was being asked to do and taking on. And I, as I was meditating and reflecting on that last night, I realized and sort of in my body said I need to let these things go I need to let these things go out of my body and I need to let these things go off of my plate and so this morning I let them go like I actually sent emails and said I'm letting these things go (laughs) and the felt sense in my body was a relief of pressure Um, so being attentive to that is so key in leadership. It's all about observing and recognizing and then what you do with that recognition.
1: So for those listeners out there right now that may be going through a difficult time, maybe in their career or personally as a leader, trying to figure out what their leadership style is, do you have maybe one piece of advice that you've garnered from your uh, career where you've done so much?
2: Yeah, uh, I think leadership often means control or is understood in our sort of Western secular understanding is control and most of leadership is letting go. And so that is a lesson that I'm continuing to learn every day and um, In many ways. So whatever process or project or even discernment or transition I'm in, I usually expect it to go a particular way and I'm trying to get it to go a particular way. Pretty much every time it never goes the way that I want it to go. And it's a continual lesson for me that leadership is so much about letting go um, and not controlling. And so in whatever discernment process or whatever, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to not stay in your head and try to say, well, what about this? Or what about this? And sometimes it's just about letting go, Um, which is again, emotional intelligence, but also bodily intelligence, just, just that sort of letting go. And that's a spiritual practice Mm -hmm. and it's a tough one, but it's one that I think leads us to that sort of felt sense of who we are and lets us live into a space um, a faith space, which is kind of, <laughs> but it it gives space. It gives space. Letting go gives space for um, other things to come in.
0: Completely agree. I personally really needed to hear that today. Good. So thank you. Yeah, yes. I love control. So
2: yes. we is, all do in in many ways. It's true. Yeah,
0: such a natural thing. Um, and and so much of that acceptance is also accepting and loving mm-hmm. that desire even. I spend a lot of my time just yeah. loathing the emotion versus just moving through it. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, 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 thank you. We're going to move into a different part of our interview. We have done different things with different people, but you were doing a little game called this or that. Great. <laughs> so go with your gut okay. on these answers. Um, so you pick one or the other. Oh,
2: for, for someone who hates binaries, this is going <laughs> to be know. challenging, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: So our first question is about two very famous
2: theologians, um, James Cone or Tink Tinker. Oh man, I, okay, it has to be Tink Tinker for me, okay, because he was my professor, and he's still someone who deeply influences me in my teaching and practice. All but right. I love James Cone too.
0: We, Dill and I both took classes with him, of course. Yeah, at Union, yep. uh, an MDiv or MA. For our listeners, that's a Masters of Divinity or Masters of Arts.
2: Oh, wow. Wow. So the present me would say MDiv. The future me, in maybe five or ten years, would say the MA. Mm -hmm. Um, Particularly in a specialized kind of professional MA, like social justice or leadership. Um, And, of course, it depends on what you want to do. So... I I would tend more to M.A., but in a couple years, I would probably more definitively say M.A. Okay.
0: Uh, Eve or Mary?
2: Ooh. These are so tough. These are <laughs> well, so tough. Well, you're a Christian. We wanted to I ask know, you a, a question about some powerful women right. in the Bible. Right. Right. Wow. I, I would say... Mary. And the reason I would say Mary is because of her birth narrative. Um, And for me, the visual of giving birth, even though I've never physically had children, Mm -hmm. um, I give birth to things every day. And so for me, that that image of a woman giving birth is key. Love that. So, we know that you are in love
0: with Adrienne Marie Brown. Yes. <laughs> I am too. Yes. next level. Yes. Um, so, she has two different books. Which is your favorite, Emergent Strategy or Pleasure Activism?
2: <gasps> okay, I will say Emergent Strategy because I have not read Pleasure Activism yet. Okay. But that may change, right? Once I read yes. it. But I have you not read it. You spoke about yet. pleasure, so you're. Yeah, you're I'm, I'm in this. tuned. Yeah, so I have the book and I'm just starting to read it, but I have not. Engaged it fully, so I'm going to say emergent strategy because for me that is a foundational text and I've taught it in classes and I've taught it in pretty much every class that I've taught in some way or another. Love that. And academia or religious institutions? Oh, oh that's so hard too. Ugh. I would say religious institutions. And speaking as someone from academia, um, religious institutions are sort of the heart and soul of why academia is present it's sort of the practical piece right it's the doing in the world and incorporates the doing and being often academia forgets about the doing and just focuses on the head knowledge and so for me religious institutions are the embodiment Mm -hmm. love that
1: well, we want to thank Dr. Christina Lazardi-Hajbi for joining us today on the Faith Space. Christina, is there anything that you would like to leave as either last words or any projects that you're working on? Um, maybe mm. one final plug for ILIF School of Theology.
2: Yeah. So ILIF um, has just launched its new Doctor of Ministry degree in prophetic leadership. And having been a part of the development of that, degree program, I'm really excited about it, and I want to share that. It's a hybrid program, and so if anybody's interested, they can go to ILIF.edu and learn more about that degree program, which I think is part of the um, thinking and being into the future of what ministry and leadership looks like in Mm -hmm. community.
0: Thank you. Hybrid meaning it can be anywhere. Anyone can do this to yes. me from anywhere.
2: Yeah, so hybrid meaning some in person time where you'd come to campus, but mostly online.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your courage to share this truth, not only with us, but with our wider community as well. Uh, we just deeply appreciate you on this planet and the work that you do here at the Faith Space. You can find out more at thefaithspace.org. Follow us on our socials at the Faith Space Co. And we just want to wish you a great, great week this week. Wherever you are, uh, release and let go and allow the truth to bubble up. Allow yourself to listen within. Trust your body and trust that wisdom that is inherently yours, connected to your source. So wherever you are, know that you are blessed and a blessing.